Thanks for listening to this Word in Your Ear podcast. If you'd like to get early access to all our productions ad-free, priority booking for our live events, and to take part in our weekly quiz, go to patreon.com slash wordinyourear for more details. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. listening to a podcast from The Word. It was quite a tumbleweed, but if you go in the bar, there's still permanent fixtures. Irving Welsh is just... Obviously. Know, just obviously. Any media watering hole you go to is... I think there are loads of them. He does, have, he does have three or four do- doppelgangers. Yeah, I, think, I think he must, you know. Just kind of, uh... Anyway, we can't talk about stuff like that on The Word podcast. No. Talk about, talk, can't talk about media watering holes. Because I, I get very indignant about them. I, know I only have to, to be dragged into them. You're not usually. a huge fan of private members' clubs, are you? I loathe private members' clubs. <laughs> okay. um, I was once tempted to... No, 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 don't worry. I'm not even, we're not even going to go. What are we going to talk about? Um, what are we... <laughs> sorry. Oh, God, I'm trying to think. Where are we, uh, where Leonard? Are we going for that? We can talk about Leonard in a minute. Um, and... Uh, are we rolling? We are rolling. Okay, so if we're rolling, this must be this must be the word podcast. Mm-hmm. I'm David Hepworth, and I'm joined uh, this week in the pod by, as usual, Matt Hall. Matt Hall, hello. And as occasionally, Barry McElhenney. Top of the morning to you, uh, <laughs> Barry. With a knickknack, tabby whack. <laughs> Give the dog a bone. Barry comes from Planet Stoke Newington, and, uh, and that's, walks the Stoke, and, that's the Stoke Newington bro. That's you absolutely yes. <laughs> Fought my way in here in '73. <laughs> he comes here sort of once a year. You're very impressed by the fact we got more equipment now, Barry, than last time you came. Well, it's very high tech compared to what I remember. Last, the last what? time you had little microphones sort of mounted on crisp packets, whereas this feels <laughs> feels like a recording studio. Don't give away the secret. <laughs> yeah, it's fantastic. <laughs> oh, actually, yeah, it's all it's all a bit chunky, but. Uh, so Order. since you were last here, Barry, we introduced a new rule, which is that people who haven't been on it for a while um, place themselves, position themselves for the benefit of the listeners by talking about the records, mm. if any, that they had in their house when they were children. When they were growing up, did you have a record player? Did you have a radiogram? Did you have a means of playing records? And what records did your parents have? Well, there was very little music, actually. It sounds like the beginning of a misery memoir, doesn't it? Very little music came out of that house in Belfast. <laughs> Frank McCall. Yeah. Sort of. um, but uh, the house opposite, where I spent a huge amount of my time, uh, my father's best friend, a man called Mert, 
was a massive traditional jazz fan. So I would go over to Mert's house as a kid, and he had this, what I now realise, an extraordinary collection of jazz and blues. So I grew up listening to Big Bill Brunsey and Sidney Bechet and Louis Armstrong. Fantastic. Well, on the 78s, are we talking about? On the 78s, he had a massive... So he had a wind-up gramophone. Yeah, an old, full sort of radiogram, massive big wooden thing. A radiogram. Yeah, Describe it. Yeah, large... But wooden thing with Wo- all of the radio stations, Hilverson, Hilverson, <laughs> the button on it, alone. Uh, yes, um, as Van Morrison famously sang about on famously that. did on his song "The Days, Days Before Rock and Roll." And interestingly, where Paul Durkin uh, was the poet who wrote, did it with Van Morrison, and I met uh, his ex-partner at a reception at the Irish Embassy last week. Chichum straight in. <laughs> Very good. First connect of the week. Uh, but in the actual McElhenney household, we didn't get a record player, actually, till I was about 11 or 12, I think. And the first, I remember the first single I bought, which I saved up from my paper round, was Neil Young's Heart of Gold, which must have been about 71. It's been like that. 72, and I was about 13. So as a single. As a single. As a, you see, that goes to show. You know, people have these kind of glib ideas of, of things that teenagers get into. You know, that you always start off by getting into whatever's top of the post, mm. and, and then later on you supposedly graduate to Neil Young. Not true. No, I've got Neil Young single. No idea sort of who Neil Young was. Just like the tune. Yeah, just like the song. Played it over and over again, and then, of course, realised a few years later, Neil Young actually is this sort of huge figure. Um, of American music, but yeah, I just like the tune. But he, he wasn't a huge figure in those days, was he? Really, he only made out. He only made four records, didn't he? Well, I saw that fantastic documentary that Mark Cooper did on Neil Young a couple of weeks ago, which was just I hadn't seen amazing. That. Um, where it just talked to Neil Young and went back in time and back to his childhood home, a bit like this actually. Right. <laughs> didn't ask him about his first record. <laughs> so it was a weird mixture of sort of j- amazing traditional jazz. Blues, and then from I suppose as I started to get into it, Neil Young, then Roxy Music, then the whole glam rock period. Right. Thank you very much. Thank you. Now, last week we were talking about um, prog rock, <laughs> weren't we, with Mark Ellen? What a can of words. What a, what a <laughs> C of W. <laughs> <laughs> Didn't we once work out what can of worms was in French? I think we did. I think we went for about a year where we used to describe it in French, but and I've now forgotten. Yeah, de something. I can't remember. Fromage. But we've had a lot of feedback on Prague. Yeah. And on venues, actually. A lot of venues. A lot of venues. And top marks to the person who nailed where the pink toothbrush was. Go on. Rally. In yeah, Essex. which, which, which I, I realise it's not a rally, it's Rayleigh. Rayleigh, I'm With a Y. Uh, okay. That's why I was thinking there's no one called Rally apart no, from right. North Carolina. That reminds, me, that reminds me of my first ever radio job, which was a Saturday, morning, Saturday afternoon job at uh, GWR Radio in Bristol. And I was the only person in the building apart from the sports presenter, and my job was to tear off the uh, racing results off the teleprinter and oh, run them God, through into, into the uh, um, studio. And I can remember being screamed at for about ten minutes by the the uh, sports presenter who wanted the um, the racing results from te- Toaster, and unfortunately nothing had come through from Tom Toaster. Sester. It was something from Towcester, but they're <laughs> <laughs> still running. Yeah, yeah. Precisely. Oh, they so, haven't come through. It's like Nicholas of Witchell. I remember hearing about Nicholas Witchell, the apparently allegedly not very popular um, BBC news presenter, <laughs> who when he was working in the Northern Ireland beat. 
um, was told by the locals that the pronunciation of the village of Five Mile Town, which was in the news quite a bit, was Fivmilton. <laughs> and it would go on the BBC News every night reporting on some awful atrocity that occurred in Fivmilton. <laughs> much, much to the mirth of the entire nation, particularly the BBC staff. Lovely man. So we're talking about venues that have gone. Mm-hmm that have joined that great Melody Maker listings page in the sky. <laughs> because it is amazing what resonance lists of tour dates have, isn't it? Mm. Because you, you read them long before you ever went to any of these places. Yeah, yeah. And now, thanks to the miracle of the interweb, I have here in my hand a piece of paper. Dear God. <laughs> and I'm going to read out a list of gigs that a very well-known group... Uh, undertook in the year 1972. Okay, fingers in the buzzers. <laughs> and we're going to see how many of these places we remember or have been to, and then we're going to see if you two can identify the group. Go. The first gig of the year, on the 18th of February, and this is 1972, was at the Hand and Flower in Hammersmith. Never, never, heard of of never heard of it. Never couldn't even place hand on flower. Was it? It wasn't a knockdown to make way for a flyover. Well, I could well have been. Anyway, following day Leicester University, fine. Following day Bristol University, okay. Was that uh, the Anson Rooms? Uh, just says Bristol University. A right. couple of days later, there at the Great Western Express Pop Festival. Oh. Which took place in Bardney in Lincoln. That's Why right. would the Great Western take place in Lincoln? I have no idea. I think I'm, I, I may be nudging towards the band here. Oh, well, hold, hold, you, hold your answer. <laughs> if I know who played that festival. Hold your answer. <laughs> okay, they then played South Sea, I don't know where. They played the Marquee in London, obviously. And then they had to shoot up to Redcar in York, North Yorkshire. The following night, yeah. To, they, were playing, they were playing at the Jazz Club in Redcar. It's Red not very well organised, is it? It's not. But then they were down to Chester, and then they were back to Yorkshire, to the Floral Hall in Hornsey. Not Hornsey, S-E-Y-S-E-A. On the coast there. Liverpool Stadium, South Bank, Polly. The Van Dyke in Plymouth. Oh. The Van Dyke in Plymouth was a staple of the kind of prog rock <laughs> circuit. Definitely. Chris Lewis, who used to work at our, uh, the people who, uh, the company who print a word, uh, used to be a regular. He had a season ticket <laughs> at the Van, Van Dyke. Dyke. He's seen your, everybody at the Van Dyke. Your usual table, sir? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Mr. Pete Brown and his battered ornaments will be on the stage. <laughs> like in a few fellas, the old table carried in for him. <laughs> Through the kitchens <laughs> and the Van Dyke. <laughs> Meanwhile, there's Arthur Brown, crazy world of Arthur Brown, giving it loads on stage. Sheffield University, University of East Anglia, Croydon Greyhound. Uh, remember the remember Croydon the Greyhound? Greyhound? That was a big yeah. one. And then they were playing at Wembley, not at the stadium, the not at the arena. The Empire was, Hall. It was called oh. the Empire, the Empire Hall. What is Hall. that? Was that a separate part? It no, it was, no, it was the same place. It was, there was a pool underneath it, yeah. and they laid a floor on it. Which was, which was built for the um, 46 Olympics, or would it have been the earlier ones? Probably earlier, yeah. I don't know. 1908 Olympics, was it? Oh, no, you're probably right. And that yeah, became yeah, that Wembley Arena. Site. Sorry? Yeah. That became yeah. Wembley Arena. That was subsequently yeah. became Wembley yeah. Arena. Yeah, it's, yeah. It's, a, it's, a, it's, it's the same place. Uh, the New Theatre Oxford, then the Red Lion and Leytonstone. Your old wow, manner. Red Lion. Yeah, well. The, <laughs> the Locarno in Bristol, City Hall, Salisbury, the Memorial Hall, Northwich. That rings a bell with me. <laughs> Northwich <laughs> in Cheshire. The Civic Hall, Dunstable, and then the Black Prince in Bexley. And then the following night. How weird is this? And this is a very hot group. They were playing at the Grammar School in Hornchurch. <laughs> how did chart-busting 
big rock band, end up at the, at the grammar school in Hornchurch. St. George's Hall, Liverpool, Harrowin, uh, Abbey Road, Abbey Wood, I mean, then the Crystal Palace Garden Party in the same year as they've done mm-hmm. the Great Western mm-hmm. thingy. Uh, George Hotel, Stoke-on-Trent, Two Nights at the Rainbow, whether they're headlining or not, I don't know, Barry. Trent, Polly, Leicester University, it goes on, then they go to America. Friars Which Ailes group are we talking about? Um, I would like to, I've got two possibilities. The first one is uh, Roxy Music. You're absolutely oh. correct. Thank you very much. He's here all week. You pick anything off the top shelf, you like a cuddly <laughs> toy or a goldfish. <laughs> it was the Great Lincoln Festival that did it, because I remember uh, really being into Roxy Music around that time, and they played that, the Great Western Festival. Yeah. They played it in Lincolnshire. So that, well, as soon as you said that, I thought, I think it's Roxy Music. And he was right. There is a famous picture of Roxy Music, I think, taken at that event, where they're standing outside a That's tent. Right. <laughs> I know exactly. And they're wearing their full kind of foppish yeah. fig, only they're in a field. You know, and it, it's, an, it's a bizarre juxtaposition of, of people and location, isn't it? I reviewed that Roxy Music book by Michael Bracewell for the Word, oh, good? For the Word magazine. Yeah. And the one thing I remember from it is that Brian Eno came from a long line of postmen. Yeah. And that was... <laughs> Extraordinary it was Fenland. It was Fenland postman yeah. as well, wasn't it? it he wasn't was... Uh, I think it was Cambridgeshire or... He was up near Lowestoft. Yeah, where, yeah. Um, and all of his, his father, grandfather, great-grandfather, yeah. all local postmen. Brian Eno, thank you very much. And how did he end up with the world's most pretentious name? I, I always know. assumed he came from, you no, know... Absolutely, you would think uh, it's... Disinherited French aristocracy or something. No, a long line of postmen, according to Michael Bracewell. Was he... Because he was, came from a long line of postmen and from that part of the country, he must have been a friend <laughs> or, or at least known <laughs> Alan Smethurst, the singing postman. He must have. <laughs> <laughs> it was probably his first, yeah. probably first gig. You just sign here, please. Record <laughs> <laughs> a delivery. Thanks, Brian. Do you remember Alan Smithers? Any gigs? <laughs> it was like that when he went into me bag. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just do you remember Alan Smithers singing postman. <laughs> Vaguely do. Oh, what was his big hit? Do you remember what it was called? Uh, and I can't do the accent. Go on. But, uh, can I get a light boy? Yeah. Have you got, got a light, light boy? boy? <laughs> <laughs> that was Brian Eno. That was Brian Eno. That was Brian Not was widely known. The interesting kind of synthetic <laughs> s- sweat swashes, washes that go underneath the. Uh, yeah. Imagine him doing. He recorded it in Berlin. Yeah. In the shadow of the wall. Turned over the cards and went, you've got to do an East Anglian accent. Doing the beat up round Kings then. How's it going? Yeah, I've got a single coming out. Virginia playing. (laughs) And uh, and Iggy's going to be providing backing vocals. Do you know Brian Eno has has this reputation as the as the man who knows everything in popular music? Mm. You know that he cultivates this. You know, He's the, on Question Time a couple of weeks ago. That he sort of can see the future. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Because he can kind of do no wrong. The fact that he he only works with really well known people. You know, you know, chances like you too yeah. and Coldplay. You know, probably help a bit. But apparently, everybody he's worked with over the last twenty years, he's always said to them the same thing at some point during the session. He says. Do you know what's going to happen next year in a big way? Do you know what's going to come back? And everybody stops doing what they're doing because they're thinking, Brian Eno, he knows, for God's sake. Listen, shush, everybody. He always says the same thing. Do what? <laughs> <laughs> and everybody, people have been waiting since 1985 <laughs> for do to make, uh, make any kind of resurgence. And it, and it still hasn't happened. So... Back to Prague. Uh, Nigel Legg um, uh, posts on the, on the website... 
And we were talking about about um, the noodling factor in, in yeah. progressive music and about a number of our theories. I must admit they weren't kind of like the ones that we'd worked long and hard on. But a number of our theories got shot down. Shot in down. You could hear the sound of dropping partridges all <laughs> over the office as, the, as they came in. And, uh, and Nigel Legg says, maybe you had to go through the noodling to appreciate the beauty of the main theme. Ooh, like right. much classical music or the jazz that I'm sure a lot of proggers would have been listening to had they been born ten years earlier. It's an interesting point, isn't it? Because it, it is the, the, the kind of... Um, you listen to serious music and you get more vegetables than meat, don't you? You know what I mean? You, you, <laughs> and you've got to eat your vegetables first before <laughs> the, main the, the tune or the pudding. You yeah, know what yeah. I mean? Whereas pop music is pudding first, isn't it? Yeah. You know? All pudding. It's all pudding. <laughs> <laughs> Starts with pudding, proceeds to pudding. With gravy on top of it. It's with some pudding to finish. Pudding. Anyway, that's Nigel's um, theory. Twangathon, Twangathan... Who has not taken advantage of Fraser Lurie's very kind offer of a username amnesty on the site (laughs) to suggest that he should be called John Smith or whatever? He says, I think to an extent the prog discussion missed the point. People liked the key or tempo changes or noodling bits in prog because it's exciting to listen to. He says, it's no more showing off than great jazz players blowing. Okay, well, fair enough. And JJ points out that not all prog fans are snobs, and if you spend any amount of time on certain indie sites, you'll see snobbery alive on these. Well, I have to say, I couldn't agree more that the the home of snobbery on rock is indie, isn't it? Yeah, I remember... Because it's invented to be snobbish. I remember going, coming to London in about 75, 76, and going to see a band who I now think may have been prog rock. I didn't realise... I wouldn't have known at the time they were called the Enid... Oh, yes. oh, no more prog. Well, the Enid Robert prog. John Grofrey. Well, you just okay. went by mistake. I went by mistake. I came to London and I thought I will go to the Marquee Club every night. And this is the famous Marquee Club. Thinking you were gonna, you're going to hear Dr. Feelgood already in the hot I saw or the Enid about <laughs> four times in a row. <laughs> went back to Belfast even more confused than when I first arrived. Possibly the fayest group in the history of popular music. That's my, that's my recollection. And then, the, funnily, interestingly, here's how the times change next time. I came to the marquee, it was in fact Eddie and the Hot Rods. So within about six months it went from the Enid to Eddie and the Hot Rods, which presumably was year zero. Yeah. You can't imagine how big a deal Eddie and the Hot Rods were for about six months. Yeah. And then just completely disappeared from you. Barry Masters. Barry Masters. um, Dave Higgs. Come on, we're going to do Eddie and the Hot Rods. Barry Masters is a singer. Singer. Okay. Ed Hollis, who is the brother of of Talk to Rock Hollis. Who was the, the, the songwriter, I think. Yep. Uh, Dave, Dave Higgs. Higgs and somebody else, we do apologise, we've forgotten the name. Don't somebody somebody out there will know. <laughs> somebody out there sitting in front of Google will have found it out straight away. Will be shouting it <laughs> as an MP3. <laughs> it's going past them. Um, so, yeah, the Enid. In, the Enid formed at a school, weren't they? I formed nothing, by the music teacher. I know nothing Robert about John Godfrey. He was the music teacher. I think so. Didn't, it's he, one of those. Know about, didn't, they, didn't he sing in a very, very high register? Was that the that unit? Was focus. <laughs> they didn't sing at all, did they? Focus? Yeah, a little, 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 the yodeler. <laughs> Sorry about that, my voice just went there. Can we have that again? Yeah. The yodeler, little, little, the hocus pocus. I remember from the whistle test. Went was into it? this mad sort of yodeling thing. That was focus. Said, I don't think the unit's are going to hide. Is the yodeling in hocus pocus by focus? Um, 
It was certainly on one of the numbers that they did on the whistle test, and he went into this mad yodel halfway I think you might be right. And it, I think it was Hocus, but Hocus Pocus or, what was their hit, Sylvia? One of the two. Yeah, they had two hits, didn't they? And, uh, and a residency on the Glory whistle test. Yeah, but actually, Focus um, was uh, given as an example by one of the posters, which blew another of our theories about, well, my particularly unfocused theory about Prog Out, was that it was purely uh, a English no. Oh, well, yeah, yeah but I think we were saying it wasn't very American. Yeah. I think that's what we were yeah, saying. It's really. European. There's, yeah, there's loads of uh, Euro prog, <laughs> crown rock and golden earring and all that kind yeah. of golden stuff. And it tends to be a Northern European... Oh, although actually it's not a Northern European thing. Because uh, on the site they were also talking about PFM, who was signed to... Even you guys are looking at me blank. Oh, dear. KLF? <laughs> KLF. That's another good. That's another thing we should do. Bands named after you know acronyms or whatever. Um, PLM, PFM, PFM, PFM. Right now, as I'm saying this, a few people are standing in front of an MP3 shouting, <laughs> "You buffoon!" Of course, you remember PFM. PFM were in the Italian prog rock group, who's who's uh, who were named after a bakery. I seem to recall. And was signed to ELP's label, <laughs> and ELP's label was called. Oh God, ELP's label. They see never worked in a record shop, Barry, did you? Manticore. <laughs> <laughs> so there you are. So you know the, the, that continues to rage on the website wordmagazine.co.uk. The Word, a magazine, a website, a podcast, a way of life. Barry, you and I went to a gig this week. We Although did. separately, I went to two gigs. Oh, really? Go on. I went. I was in the O2 Arena twice in three nights in the space of three nights. Well, I know when you went to on one occasion. What was the other occasion? The other occasion, two nights previously. If you could think, the one that you and I went to was yeah. Leonard Cohen. Right. The diametric opposite of that, in every sense, forty-eight hours previously, was Kanye West at the O2. Yeah. Oh, really? Well, you, did you go for fun, or did uh, you, I like, went with my twelve-year-old daughter? Right. Um, and go on. How, well, how's a Kanye West gig? I, I like Kanye West, yeah, so yeah. I was quite quite happy to go along, and it was primarily for her. Uh, and she loved it, and I guess she is more the target audience than me. But, just, just a bit. Yeah, but uh, I didn't think it worked. That sort of bombast that works really well on record, just annoying on stage. So he just did this rant at the end about how dare the critics judge him, and <laughs> uh, how dare they knock a star off, and they say this is the best urban show of all time. I, I take offence at that. It's the best show, period. They say it's the best <laughs> hip-hop record. I take offence at that. And when my, when my auntie gave me a, a pullover at Christmas, it was a gift. I didn't say, I'm going to give it three stars, etc., etc. just sort of kept so on going. this guy was getting pissed off because somebody had given his record three stars. I couldn't work out if it was a specific review or something that happened or whether it was just a general... I think this is, I think this is a general uh, motif to which, to which he keeps on returning. And it just got incredibly I mean, he, he sounded off at the MTV That's Awards, right. I think, twice, got on stage, two years on the So let me get straight about Kanye West. He's, he's, he's handsome, he's healthy, he's young, he's unbelievably rich, mm-hmm. and, and women must be just... Just queuing. Well, I think it's, but it's, he's not a star. But he's got <laughs> and he's found something wrong in the otherwise, you know, seem fair, well, faultless fabric of his life. Apparently, I haven't heard the new album, but apparently, the, the theme of the new album is the uh, death of his mother. Correct. And the whole the, show was and about the, that. And the breakup of his long-term relationship with his uh, supermodel girlfriend. The, the conceit behind the entire show <coughs> is: you're going to love this. Is he has been cast off into outer space into another planet. So the show begins with him waking up on this unnamed planet 
on the computer uh, on a planet. Say, Mr. West, you cannot get back to Earth. So he's lost in space. So right. I need yeah, that's a brilliant idea. Nobody's thought of that. Yeah, before. after about five minutes, you think, could you just get back to Earth? That would re- be really good if we could just get back as soon as possible. <laughs> could we have that one about your car crash? <laughs> so the entire, yeah. Could you, could you do the one with Jimmy Fox? <laughs> And, and even on even on that even on Gold Digger, the, vo- the the voice is in a computerized voice, and uh, it's just the show goes on and on and on, and then eventually, ten minutes before the end, he's cleared for takeoff back to Earth, which I stood up massive hurrah, <laughs> yes. Um, so from you know, so I uh, the whole thing. The light swung round and pinpointed you, and yeah. he said, "Are you a critic? <laughs> yeah, have you knocked the star? You just knocked the star." Up. So, but he's he's written this about he lost his mother. He lost his mother. His mother um, went in for really plastic bizarre, surgery. Yeah. I mean, right. aged only about oh, yes, yeah, yes. Um and never came out. Never came around from the anaesthetic, yeah. which is clearly you know a very traumatic episode for him. And he's a lot of the songs were about it. Uh, and the night before, he did two nights, two sold out nights at the O2. And the night before, when he did that the song "Mama," broke down on stage, right. uh, which of course was all over YouTube the following day. Right, right, right. Um, and clearly, you know, I'm going to say something controversial now. <laughs> I thought you might. I can see you weren't that touched by that. No, I, I'm starting to get fed up at the kind of the appropriation of bereavement as, by artists and public yeah. figures as being something that they go through and nobody else does, or nobody else does in the same way. You know what I mean? I, I was I was wrote into this one, but Frank Lampard tragically lost his mother, didn't he? That's right. Yeah, yeah. And you get all this pointing at pointing the sky where people time. score goals, and, and you think, well, that stadium is full of people who lost That's their correct, mother or, or whatever. The, the other thing with Kanye, he did he did the song "Mama," and he would refer to his mama throughout it. Uh, and then you're probably you know what's coming here. He said, "This year I lost my mo- last year I lost my mama. This year we got Obama." At which the entire crowd rose as one. So this is the other thing. At the moment, a mention of Obama oh, obligatory every God. 30 minutes. The entire O2 just go mental. So it wasn't really for me. But two nights later, very, Lenny. very different experience. So go on, what do you think of Lenny? Never seen him before. No, I'd never seen him Not before. a massive Leonard Cohen expert. I mean, I can hum the five or six classics. Um, fantastic. Very, very moving, a very spiritual show. But uh, 45 minutes too long for me. Okay. Yes. Yeah, possibly. But I, I loved his, the sort of zen-like demeanour where he would take his hat off at the end of every <laughs> yeah. song and bow and he would introduce the band, The Instruments of Wind. Yes. Oh, all the way and did the, intru- did the introduction, he does the show with two halves, you know, intermission in the middle. You know, so it comes on about ten past eight. Or something Very early. Ten yeah. past eight, plays till yeah, about. Yeah, because you, you're getting your money's worth. You know, you paid a lot, but you're getting your money's worth. <coughs> and at the end of the first set, he goes right through the group. Yeah. Nine pieces, and he does personal, you know, mm-hmm. uh, testimonial to each one. And then at the end of the second half, he does exactly the same exactly thing. So. Slightly changes the words, doesn't it? He slightly. changes the intros slightly to each part. But not much. And it's almost that you're looking at it, you're thinking. Lenny, how old, Lenny? You're yeah. thinking... 72? Has he forgotten? Yeah. <laughs> Didn't you do this earlier? You know, when you mentioned it, that was my first thought. <laughs> you think, I've been listening to The Archers recently. I know what Jack Wally's been going through. It is possible. Hell, I do it part. myself. You know, I, mean, I repeat and myself. Who's, who's going to be the guy on stage? Say, you've done that. We've already done this bit. And then he did that weird sort of Eric Morecambe skip 
Off stage every time. Off stage and on. This yeah. girlish thing. Yeah. My theory is he does it to show he can. He's in, he seems incredibly fit for seventy-two incredibly years. Incredibly fit, old. but very thin. He didn't. Um, he didn't walk off stage with the band still playing and then appear at the back in a flat cap <laughs> and a muffler. But he. It's such a good idea. He also. I mean, for seventy-two years old, he got seventy-four. Up, seventy-four. He got up and down incredibly easy. So quite often down, down on his knees. And I'm looking at it thinking I couldn't get down. Yeah, I, I couldn't, couldn't get up again. Sir. I need a hand up from that guitarist. <laughs> He'd spring back up again. But presumably he's joined, he does do a lot of kind of sat in a lotus position. I think he does a mass, massive amount of yoga. <laughs> yeah, so. <laughs> yes. Any, the thing I read about the show, which fascinated me, three months in rehearsal. Now, three months for a live pop group is quite a long time yeah, the in band rehearsal. were tremendous. They were absolutely musically faultless. Yes, yeah, absolutely. But then... Um, there was kind of more to it than that. There was all that rehearsal I felt had given them a huge amount of kind of slack. They were just so confident yeah, yeah, in what they were doing. Yeah. There was never any stage at which anybody looked at anybody else with even the flicker of, what are we doing next? Yeah. What's going on now? Now, I'm not saying it was kind of, they weren't like auto- automatons, you know, it wasn't like a take that show or whatever, you know. It, but it was just utterly calm yeah. because they knew. Absolutely what they were doing. The whole thing was incredibly calm. It was incredibly calm. There's nothing frenetic about it at all. They had all the time in the world. They'd absolutely worked it out. They were utterly confident in every piece of material. There was no sense of, that hasn't gone quite as well as we'd like, therefore we quicken it a bit with the next one. Nothing like that at all. Is this this an extensive world tour that he's doing? Yes, it's about six and nine months or something like that. And how far into it is he? Oh, he's well into it. Um... Is, is he doing it? Yeah, well, he did Glastonbury, didn't he? I mean, he, you oh, know, right, he's been same, doing it yeah, since yeah. before. Didn't then. he have some massive financial? Oh, well, that's is that, thing, is that he's, why he's his doing manager. It? His manager buggered off with, uh, you know, he's salient, so he's doing the tour. He's coming. He's he's um, he's had to do it. I think he's partly had to do it to make money, but then at the same time, he's found that his audience is bigger than it's ever been before, yeah. and therefore he's thinking. We'll keep this going for God's well, I mean, sake. You know, and play huge halls. He did two O twos, and then he did Albert Hall. Did, How many? Uh, Twice? Two or three Albert Halls. Something like that. Was sold. I mean, I had to get mine on, whereas, on the net. It's totally whereas years out. ago, you know, you would have come here and done two Albert Halls or something like that. You know, the audience is just absolutely massive. And it's a really interesting audience because I mean, it wasn't just what you would expect for Leonard Cohen. I mean, like, I was sitting behind a couple of people in late teens, early twenties. Man in front of me with his son, who must have been 11 or 12. A friend of mine took his 15-year-old daughter who pronounced him the coolest man in the world. Really? So I mean, the audience is sort of, is not, it's not the kind of you know, 50-plus you would expect for somebody like Leonard. Yeah. Did you like the somersault? The somersault was incredible. <laughs> he does uh, quite near... <laughs> not him. <laughs> I, I, well, he's gone. He's, he's left Britain now, so I'm not spoiling this for anybody. Um, he... Um, one of his early songs, and I can't remember, what, I think it's The Future, mm. and, uh, and he, he just sings this, this line, and the white girls dance. And you've noticed that two of the singers, two of the younger singers, who are a pair of sisters from Kent, Kent. the Webb sisters from Kent. I assume they were from the Bayou gone to the, or somewhere. Gone to, they, they, live in, they live in L.A., you know, they've got a musical career in L.A., but they've obviously been hired to be part of his three woman, you know, backing vocal troupe, one of whom is Sharon Robinson, who's his collaborator. 
and he's obviously slightly older and not quite as as uh, as, as lithe she, and lithe and lissom. Well, collaborator in, in all <laughs> senses of the word. No, 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 no. That's okay. another one. Laughter and laughter. And anyway, you, you've noticed are the Web Sisters easy on the eye. <laughs> the Web Sisters are not oddly on enough eye. easy on the eye. Which Lenny has never denied himself. <laughs> the, you know, you know, the pulchritudinous female company at any point in his life. But anyway, you've noticed that, that during the verse, they've just taken off their jackets mm-hmm. and are hanging their jackets on the mics. You think, what's, what's this for? They're warm. Why are the other one not doing it? And he sings this line, and the white girls dance, and the two of them just turn away from the microphone and execute a perfect synchronised cartwheel. Yeah. Just one cartwheel. <laughs> Fantastic moment. And then, and then just come back and, so, and, no, and resume singing. And no references made. No references. No respect. It's obviously at a rehearsal. Somebody said, "Do you know what? We could do this." And they must have then rehearsed it for about two days. They're pretty fit. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I thought it was astonishing and uh, uniquely quiet. Very quiet. So like being in a library. And not, not that you couldn't hear it. You, the sound, I mean, you know, everybody always talks about this. You know, when they go to a gig that they enjoy, they always say the sound was fantastic. But the sound was fantastic. It was absolutely fantastic. Isn't that the O2? Was Kanye West the sound yeah, good? Yeah, any time I've been at the O2, I've been three or four times now, the sound is immaculate. Oh, well, that's a good thing. But, you know, the, the, the kind of reproduction of his voice... The, the rumble and the rasp of that voice. And you could hear, as my mother used to say, when she used to come and see me in a school play that she didn't like, she used to come back afterwards and say, I could hear every word you said. <laughs> and then it came, you could hear every word he sang, couldn't you? Also, his voice, I think, has dropped a couple of octaves. Oh, it has. I went home and listened to, to, to the stuff. You know, having seen him, thought, I'll go and download a bit more. And his voice on live is just... Well, he's, he says it's gone up, actually, a little bit recently, because he <clears> stopped smoking. So low live. Um, and the only thing I found musically was the early songs he couldn't hit properly because the early songs are in a different register. Yeah. Whereas the later ones are all in this kind of this he, rumbling baritone. He didn't do Sisters of Mercy. No. Which my wife was waiting for because we were getting to that point near the end. We thought, we're going to get home because we're getting a bit tired. I was like, I've already done Kanye West. I'm exhausted at this point. <laughs> uh, I thought, no, hang on, he'll do Sisters of Mercy. But for some reason, did everything bar that. Mm. But it was a wonderful show. It was. It was. It was, it, it was memorable. I'm very glad I saw it. Yeah, yeah. A magazine, a website, a podcast, the word. One of the things that we look upon Barry to, we look to Barry to uh, to keep us up to date with, because I know that Barry watches <laughs> Barry watches tons of telly that you and I don't watch, Matt. I am currently uh, pretty gripped, actually, by having a celebrity get me out of here. Can, not, I, can, I, can we just do, before we do this, because my, my, my thing runs on to it, uh, things that we've learnt this week. Oh, yes, God, yes. Sorry. Because the thing that I learnt this week was I was, I was reading the uh, obit of um, Reg Varney. <laughs> Who was 91? Ninety, he was uh, 92. Oh, OK. According to The Guardian. Um, born in Canning Town, yeah. in the east end of London, to a working-class family. His father, a semi-skilled tyre factory worker, who encouraged his son's ambitions, but once told the boy's uncle not to applaud anymore when Varney was doing a musical routine at home, or the boy might, quote, start to behave silly. And I just was thinking, wouldn't it be so much... Wouldn't we have been excused an awful lot of the crap that's been on TV over the last decade if somebody had said to them, if don't, the, don't, don't, don't encourage them, they might start to behave silly. If Varney Pear had only been... You know. Reg Varney would have been a very good one for, is he still alive or dead? Because actually, I thought Reg Varney was dead some time ago. I didn't realise he still was. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah, and you know, and, and the, 
apropos of nothing, the, thing, the, the fact that everybody, knows, everybody should know about Reg Varney, which is absolutely brilliant. Not that he was the, the um, lead of On the Buses, but his other claim to fame? Well, the rag trade. No. Go on. He was the first person... Oh, I know this! ...in the world, ever... Yes. ...to... ...use an ATM machine. Because the first ATM machine... That. The first ATM machine... Yeah. Was installed and Reg opened it. And where was it installed? Just up the road from where I live. Which gla- which glamorous locale was that? It, Enfield, it? Middlesex. <laughs> Enfield, Middlesex. And the first person to get out of Fiverr and get his statement was and Reg it, on the buses, Varney. And it was recorded on film. And the reason was he was the most famous person in Britain at that time. Dear God. And everyone thought, you know, and that somebody thought, if we get Reg to do it, everyone will understand it's easy to do. So before Barry goes into his I'm a Celebrity um, coverage, the, the thing I've learnt this week, uh, in, in the course of reading a, a, a piece about plagiarism in exams, plagiarism from the internet, okay, which is now so common, in 2007... <laughs> In 2007, officials revealed that 5% of applicants to Oxford and Cambridge had embellished their application forms with materials from the web. Explaining why they wanted to study chemistry, 234 applicants cited word for word the same example, burning a hole in my pyjamas at the age of eight as a formative experience. All those people. And that's despite the fact that every pair of pyjamas you look at always has that little label on it saying, do not expose to naked flame, doesn't it? <laughs> do not burn. <laughs> so, there you are. So, Barry, I'm a celebrity. I'm a celebrity, which is in its first week. Um, th- I mean, the fascinating thing about this year is you always have, you know, people who, strictly speaking, are, are ex-celebrities or who were more famous ones and who are doing it for the exposure for, or for the money. Perfectly understandable. I do the same. As, I'm going to interrupt you there. I heard Mike Reed interviewed about this the other day. Mike Reed was on the first series, and he said, right. "Why wouldn't you do it?" He yeah. Says, "You get hundred thousand pounds for a charity. Yeah. You get a very good check for yourself. You get two weeks in a very luxurious hotel Absolutely. in Australia, and you get first class airfares there and back." Yeah. Why wouldn't you do it? So, so they're all doing it, and it's the usual mixture. I mean, you have Robert Kilroy, Silk, um, Simon Webb from Blue. Uh, Esther Ranson, and then in the middle of it, inexplicably, Martina Navratilova, the greatest women ten- woman tennis player of all time, who cannot be short of a few bob. It's not and it's she, not stupid. No, it's not as if she she was in the game before the big money. And she's um, not an attention seeker. No, and just can't quite work out what she's doing there. Uh, and and every time someone talks about her or with her and refers to her as one of the great tennis players, she will always correct them and say the greatest. <laughs> Quite Were seriously, she? yeah, not sort of joking, mate. Oh, re- oh God, I give her points for that. And last I night, someone said, oh, I'm, I'm worried about going up, up against Martina in the Bush Tucker Challenge. You know, she, one of the greatest athletes of all time, the greatest. <laughs> and, and it's sort of just, it's, it's, it's clearly a very strong sense of who she is. What she's doing on the programme, no idea. Is she likely to survive the um, um She the hasn't really vote? come to the fore yet. I mean, the two major characters at the minute are Robert Kilroy Silk, very much the kind of alpha male that we always have in the jungle, um, who, who, who thus far has come across as a bit of the, the pantomime villain. 
Um, and then um, Joe Swash from EastEnders, yeah. who played Mickey, somebody or other EastEnders, who is the cheeky chappy who's being voted for by the public because he makes the Bush Tucker challenges seem like such fun. So, I mean, it's early days. Right. You also have Brian Paddock, uh, London's get top gay cop. Did run as mayor. <laughs> mayor to, liberal Democrat mayor. Mayoral candidate. Ooh, okay. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Simon Simon Webb from Blue, uh, whose okay. catchphrase on the show so far is "Don't mess with the sigh, you'll get caught in the web." See what he did there. His name is Simon Webb. So he's the Oscar Wilde of the party. And then he? you have Joe Cole's girlfriend. Uh, that's that's her official occupation. I think that's what it says in her passport. <laughs> Car- Carly Zucker, wag. Yeah. Nicola McLean, wag. Esther Ranson, interesting. Yeah, you know, just because for us it's with Esther Ranson, big name in TV, but clearly, yeah. you know. I was once on I was once on holiday at a very posh holiday resort with my children. Children were younger, and Esther Ranson and, and family were Ooh. there. Ooh. And it was just nice lady. She was absolutely fine. She was fine. I mean, you know, spend spend ages around the around the swimming pool. And I used to get my children in. You know, when they were misbehaving, child line. If you dare. When you say the last line. When you say with family, with her husband, was this well? Desmond Wilcox and their and their children, and one of whom is now a TV presenter. Isn't it a really uncomfortable thing lying on a sun lounger with Desmond Wilcox a few a few lines down, going thinking like he's looking at me. He's got his. That's another chapter in his next book. (laughs) No, no, no. And then bizarrely, you have Mr. Uh, Zulu from Star Trek. Yep. Oh, right, George, right. Very strange. Yeah, yeah. Which is an yeah. interesting generational thing, because I said to my son, um, oh, that, that guy from Star Trek's in it. And my son said, that, that guy from Heroes is in it. And uh, realized it's the same person. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I see. He knows him from Heroes. Now, and now at the same time this is going on, there's also, I understand, I better read out the, the name of those programs, I might get it wrong, there's also a program called Strictly Come Dancing. Is that right? <laughs> Well, I'm not a huge strictly. I was saying because clearly what's happening is the British public are voting oh. for John Sargent because Dancing he's a crowd dancer. Well, the, I think that the, the, the one thing I want to say about Strictly Come Dancing is the two people that have any interest in it that I know of are my four-year-old daughter and my um, older uh, mother-in-law, and I think they, that is, yeah. you know, it's the, it's the classic. Um, I was thinking about it the other day. It's the classic uh, market that you aim pop songs at you aim pop bands at young children and gay men and older, older women and that's it's what they've done Strictly Come Dancing the other brilliant thing about our celebrity I think I know it's controversial is Ant and Dec who I think work terrifically together they are brilliant and every year I mean just you know as good as they've ever they been they are very very um, good so I think if it wasn't for them it was, yeah, 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 yeah 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 they've just got that slight sardonic yeah uh, but, like they're but, but warm. Yeah, they're in on the gag with us. Yes. Yeah, no, no, it's very good. How are the, um, how are the phone votes going this year? <laughs> the phone votes take so long to explain. They've clearly, clearly Oh, all the disclaimers. Yeah. So they it's have to do the entire thing. I love all It that. takes about three minutes for them. Terms and conditions at ITV.com. Mobiles, uh, yes. cost Michael Drake takes no personal yes. responsibility. It just goes on and on and on. It's like, we all know that. Well, yeah, why, don't they all just, why don't they all just stop trying to earn a fortune yeah. from these things? If they made the phone votes free, you know, they'd have no problem, would they? Yeah, but then they wouldn't be able to fly. They wouldn't make an absolute fortune. Yes, precisely. To pay Ant and Deck. There's also a massive... How much are Ant and Deck getting paid for? Go on, let's have a guess. <laughs> for that let's help. now guess. Well, they're doing three weeks in Australia, so they're away from the other stuff. Uh, so they're contracting... Oh, God, I don't know. 
How much people are going to get paid? I have no idea. Are they, um, are they down in, the, in, any, in any associate production capacity on this uh, particular <laughs> production? <laughs> I think we should start, I think we should start a new, new slot of the podcast where we speculate about what people get paid. And if people would like to correct us, they're perfectly free so to do. We'd like them to come Which on. Which is probably part, isn't it, of their wider deal. It is. They'll, they'll be paid a fortune by ITV every year. So if Jonathan Ross is getting, what is it, six million over three years? How does it Eight, work 18 out? 18 million, no, 18, six million yeah. a year. Yeah. And there's a radio show involved in that as well. Four. Well, let's say four. Two. Are we saying four between two? Are we saying, are we feeling sorry for them yet? We, I tried to book Alan Deck once for one of the corporate award ceremonies that I used to be involved in. And this was about three years ago, so probably at the very height of their pomp. And I think at the time it was 20 to 25 each for the night. Each. 25,000 to turn up. Because don't forget, you know, corporate entertaining is, is where cabaret went when uh, it died. Yeah, so, sorry. Can we just say... We can talk about that. Barry and yeah, I can do can loads we, of In view of what's happened in the financial markets recently, can we put all of these next uh, speculations in the past tense? <laughs> well, I don't know. I think corporate I think entertaining is not necessarily... I, no, I think, I think you're wrong, because I think they'll keep their value. Because the secret of corporate entertaining is that there are very few people who do it. Yeah. A really a handful. That's why if you go... Any night of the week down Park Lane in a dinner jacket, wander into the Grosvenor House, which you can do because nobody will ever ask to look at your invitation. You'll be at, at the Advertising Awards or the Plumbers Awards or the whatever. And Ian Hislop mm-hmm. will be there mm-hmm. doing exactly the same material as he did the previous he literally week. Just literally just inserts Literally the same stuff. My wife For, was, you know, 20 grand or whatever. My wife was at the Mother and Baby Magazine Awards last week. Literally best push chair of the year. <laughs> Lifetime achievement and pampers. Don't, don't, don't knock it. I tell you what, um, when, when one of those th- one of those little stars appears on the product, I'm, it, it, it runs off the um, shelves. You know, the big, probably the big, the big event within the mother and baby yeah. world. And on stage, Daryl Brain, who's very big at this stuff. Oh, right, okay. And who's you know doing most nights down the Grosvenor. Down yeah, the and I must still be getting a fair fair whack for them. Bob Monkhouse. Can't used imagine to do much it, of know. Daryl O'Brien's material is particularly apposite to the mother and baby. Does, I think that what they do is they do their usual ten minute shtick and then literally they, they just sort of sober up instantly don't they and do the you know I would come to the first award of the night which is for, for best inflatable push chair the nominees are so right, the winner photograph that'll be seven and a half large thank you very much it's funny they should, they should come up about, about star fees because I caught a bit on Sunday night of, of Stephen Fry's whiz round America yeah. it doesn't, doesn't qualify as a journey around America because it doesn't appear to be anywhere longer than you know two minutes and um, and my wife was saying, how much did he get paid for this? How much do you think he gets? Stephen Fry. Stephen Fry, because you're going to film a thing like that, how long is it going to take? Three months, isn't it? Must do. Yeah, I don't know. He's doing every state. On his um, very good podcast, although not as good, obviously, as other podcasts which are available, um, he was actually kind of describing how long it was taking. I can't actually remember how far he got. So, so taking him out of the market for three months, yeah. it's a lot of money. It's an interesting trend as well, isn't it? Because Paul Merton's done oh, China. Is now I'm doing fed up India. of it. Fry's doing America. Obviously, Palin did all of that. So I suppose comedians get to a certain stage and well, become I think the it, Michael Palin model. No, but it's, it's commissioning editors think, we've got to do travel. We've got to no, do the world. Got to make it the only way we can get around this is have somebody who's known for being facetious. And also, when they go and do it, they don't have the writers to write the material but, for them to be funny. So they just stand there being mildly... Mildly but amusing. Fry, I think Fry works pretty well. I but the apogee of this was um, 
Ewan McGregor, oh, yeah. Andy's John, mate, Charlie Berman, went, 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 went around Berman. the world yeah, somewhere. Yeah. And then for the next series, they couldn't get Ewan McGregor, so they got Ewan McGregor's mate <laughs> to do it on his on own. On his bike. Yeah, which surely took out the whole, or at least, you know, you think, well, you're going to have some quite nice shots of Ewan McGregor riding the motorbike across the steps, Andy's mate. And then the next one is just his mate. And the, the most pointless journey in the world. But the mate has From become Ireland. a little bit of a celebrity himself. Has he? Not he's selling a lot of DVDs and books. Well, Out there. <laughs> Did you notice that Stephen Fry was doing his jaunt round America at the same time as Simon Sharma was doing his jaunt round America for the same TV channel? Mm. And they both filmed uh, at Arlington Military Cemetery on Veterans Day. So were there... Were there were That's right. Two BBC crews... Two crews. Or were they shooting our man pontificating in front of the Stars of Tribe? The thing that I love uh, about the uh, Stephen Fry series, according to Private Eye, is the fact that in the new sense of openness and compliance and in the fact that we can't be seen to be hoodwinking the viewers in any way, shape or form, the fact that he's driving that cab around um, America, that's actually not his cab. I thought he, he he's got, he's a, got cab. a cab. He's got a cab. It's a it's a That's, it's oh, a they took a, cab. It took another one. But they had to whether they could well, get they insurance or whatever. Yeah. But, but at the start of the the first episode, apparently they had to kind of like there was this kind of disclaimer. Although Stephen's driving the cab, it's not actually his Fred, own Fred, cab. Fred, Fred tried to which, hail it. You know, so he said, I, "I don't go west of the river." <laughs> west of the Pecos. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, mate. I did west of the Rockies. <laughs> not this time of night. Yeah, not the Grand Canyon again. <laughs> Was twenty quid up front. <laughs> oh God! And uh, and uh, we close with the news that Prince, living in Los Angeles, still does his bit for the Jehovah's Witnesses, which his bit involves turning up on Sunday morning, knocking on your door, yeah. following in the footsteps so, of Peter Nelms, footballer turned Jehovah's Witness. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Well, there are several knolls at Tottenham. Yes, of course. Yeah. Every bit as famous as Prince. Yeah, but <laughs> Not quite, perhaps. But weird, weird. Someone in public life who becomes Jehovah's Witness. Not that common a Possibly a not. Possibly not. So how would you know, if you, if you, you know, heard the doorbell ring on Sunday morning, or Saturday morning, usually Saturday morning, isn't it? We had an, inst- we had an instance of this. It's uh, never Sunday, because Sunday they're all down the meeting. They're well, witnessing they? Jehovah. Yeah. Merely a week ago, uh, my wife and I just had the conversation everyone's having at the minute, which is, this is the amount of money we've got coming in, <laughs> this is the amount of money we've got going out, we're going to have to do something about one of the two piles. And it's still a child. Had just agreed to cut back on the various direct debits, some of which I'm afraid to say did involve charitable Donations. Next thing, knock on the door. Man from the British Red Cross, very nice man. Ten minutes later, I find him in the kitchen. My wife signing over five pounds a month. To him. <laughs> <laughs> We've only just agreed to stop doing that and gave him some stew to take back to the depot with him. So that's how we deal with it. Welcome them in with so, open arms. And, and your your address is Barry. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> they, they all know he's already passed it on. They all know. When you say a tidy, neat queue at the yeah, end of the garden. Suckers limited stuff. <laughs> when you say giving them some stew, was that was that the stew off the off the stove that was straight out down, the down, mar- yeah, marked yeah, as your lunch? Your yeah, spoon <laughs> poised in midair. <laughs> Oh, it's the man from the Red Cross. He's more in need of it. How do you I deal am. with Jehovah's Witnesses? Do you have a? Do you have a? Jehovah's Witnesses uh, try not to be totally impolite, but but perhaps uh, point out to them uh, that we're not going to be taking making any donations this this fiscal year. <laughs> How do you deal with them? Um, one, tell them I'm a Catholic. <laughs> it always works. Two. 
if they do kind of pr- proceed to ca- continue, point out that, wasn't it 1973, where they were all supposed to be <laughs> lifted up to heaven in a holy cloud of glory? And surely <coughs> there's a bit of a problem in their, uh, in their belief system, if that was the case. And if neither of those work, I think in future you should just say, come back with Prince. <laughs> That's a good idea. Thank you very much. Close the door. And or the revolution, or just a, just a, a solo spot. <laughs> Sheenery. Just Wendy and Lisa. This podcast was brought to you by The Word. Details at wordmagazine.co.uk. <laughs> <laughs>